If you liked hearing Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson provide secrets on negotiating for total compensation, dealing with microaggressions, or simply being able to just be your authentic self, then welcome to season two of Secrets. Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets Season 2, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share their adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Here are your hosts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Hey, Keith, man, what's happening, man? Hey, what's up, Ricky? I'm doing pretty good today. You know, it's hard to believe that we're almost halfway through this year. Yeah. It's crazy. And the, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And you know this is taboo. This is a taboo topic in the black community, right? Mental health stuff. But we couldn't let this month go by without addressing the mental health dilemma that's in the black community. You know, Keith. I mean, so true. And you know, I've been uh, pretty candid about um, speaking within our podcast on a few different occasions about how getting therapy uh, for me was literally like a game changer mm-hmm. you know it literally saved my life i mean and i i some people might think i'm putting more on it than not but no i'm I'm being dead serious like this really changed my life and we know our community is facing a lot of trauma stress strain yeah no doubt and, and other shit that we just don't even have definitions for yeah <laughs> you know yep. right now right yet we won't go get the help, though, Keith. I just, we won't. I, I don't we get won't. it. We just refuse. Yeah, refuse. I, I don't get it. We fall prey to the strong black man syndrome or strong black woman myth. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. And black women in particular suffer more than we can even imagine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I know our listeners probably wonder why I keep continuing like to quote this particular um, passage. But remember that quote from Malcolm X about the black woman being the most disrespected person in America. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm not, I'm not lying. You know, about it, right. We have, we got receipts to back it up. Countless facts, right? Man, that can actually break you down like brick by brick. Yeah, no doubt. If you disrespect it, I mean, that's all that trauma that goes along with that. And I'm going to just say preach. (laughs) Reverend Robinson (laughs) on on all of that, right? And that's why I'm excited about today's episode, because we pulled together a panel of amazing, accomplished black women to discuss their mental health journeys and how and how dealing with all Mm -hmm. of the stress and strain um, has impacted them and their journey and what they've learned and advice that they can provide for 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 our community going forward. No, I understand, man. Battle tested, right? Battle tested. Definitely. So in this episode, we will uh, hear from three black women, as Keith said, that will share external factors, workplace issues and family experiences that have impacted their mental health. They will also share some of the stigma around addressing mental health in the black community. We will provide some receipts on mental health and the black community. And finally, we will close out with secrets from our guests on mental health resources and how to deal with mental health challenges. Yeah, no doubt. 
So, I mean, Ricky, this is always, like I said before, this is a taboo subject mm-hmm. in the black community when it comes to mental health. And in preparation for this episode, I read a blog by uh, Dr. Erica Martin Richards, who is the chair medical director of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health at Sibley Memorial Hospital. And she cited how women of color, quote, try to muscle their way through depression and anxiety, right? And part of the challenge in getting care is the cultural belief that only people who are, quote, crazy or weak <laughs> see mental health professionals, right? And mm-hmm. I think we've all dealt with this in our family. Like, we don't go seek help because why am I going to seek help? I'm, cra- you know, that's crazy. People do that stuff, right? Right. right. And, and then she finally points out that. There's a feeling in a lot of black communities that women have to be strong and stoic and just get shit done and not have any emotion about it yeah. at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, it's 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 prevalent in the, in, the, in in all communities, but particularly in the black community, it's it's prevalent, yeah, right? No doubt. But specifically, when we speak about women, you know, that strong black woman syndrome is real. You know, black women are expected to put an S on their chest like Superwoman and march on. Yeah, march on. This shit ain't bothering me. Just march Mm -hmm. on, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's ingrained in black women from an early age. I mean, it may help with dealing with the discrimination and disrespect, but being a superheroine all the time can negatively impact your mental health and well-being as well. Like, it can be like... That extra straw. Yeah. Yeah. That extra one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, I mean, we expect our black women to take care of everything and everybody. And then on top of that, they got to go work, go to work and deal with this bullshit. Yep. Yep. And now we have all of this other stuff that's going on around us in the world. Right. With George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and just all of this stuff. And it's just like it's a lot. And and if you look at. The majority of these DNI or DENI roles that have been filled with or in these organizations, the majority of those are black women. Black women. You know, they're black women. So That's we want right. you to take on that burden. Burden of teaching us how to be better. <laughs> right. Teaching us how to do the right thing. How to do the right you know? thing. And we're not even talking about the burden of actually living your own life and, and leading your own family. No. no you're, you know, you're... so look, KP. That's why I'm so excited about hearing from these ladies, these sisters, our sisters that we pulled together to discuss their mental health journeys. And I guarantee you that something that someone says today is going to resonate with a listener. No doubt. So let's go ahead and just hear from our special guests. Absolutely. So welcome again. And uh, as Ricky said, we're 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 wanting to bring awareness to mental health issues in the workplace because this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we thought that you all had some great stories to share that could be a, be a value for for our listeners. So to kick things off, why don't we just go around, just introduce yourself and maybe just uh, share a story Maybe there's a story that just kind of shaped your experience or how you've been, how your mental health and well-being's been affected as, as we kick off the episode. So, uh, Princessa, if you don't mind starting, and then we'll go with uh, Raven and then Keisha, and, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Thanks. Okay. Hi, I'm Princessa Borelli from Oakland, California, originally from South Central California. I like to tell the story that 
the Rodney King beating actually happened across the street from my house. And my neighbor is the one who filmed it. Uh, my apartment was on the ground floor, so I really had no idea what was happening. But thankfully, my neighbor above had a video recorder, had a direct view, and was able to capture that footage. After uh, my 20s and working in corporate for a while in finance and accounting, I decided to go back to school. So I was a late bloomer. I was not an 18-year-old going to undergrad. I was more like a 23-year-old going to undergrad. And I got accepted into Georgetown University, accepted their offer. And it was an, a, a great experience. I was an older student, so I was a bit more focused. And I really did enjoy uh, the professors who had real life experience to share in the, in the classroom. So that's really what worked well for me. I ended up getting married, uh, starting a family, had uh, three daughters, ended up at Johns Hopkins University for my master's degree, and then moved to California about 12 years ago to Oakland, California where I've just, um, you know, I've gone through a number of uh, things that have really sparked, sparked my, that really have affected my mental health. I think the violence around uh, people of color has really began to resonate with me, trying to raise three African-American women, trying to keep them from having the same experiences that I've had in my life. And I think my first experience, Keisha actually reminded me of this, which launched me into going to see a therapist. It wasn't because my family had gone before. I had not, no one in my family had ever gone to therapy or spoke about it, but I had a boss that was, she didn't renew my contract. So basically what, what I say is I was fired, but she didn't renew my contract because, and you ready for this? I was saying bad things about her. All right. Hey, what's up, good people? So my name is Raven Miller, and I am so excited to be here with the Secrets family. So I hail from Little Rock, Arkansas originally, and so that had a lot of shaping on what I know about race and what I've experienced with race. So I went on to Texas A&M, earned a biomedical science degree, and then went to go work as a sales rep for a long time, and then went back to grad school to get two masters, one divinity, one is MBA. And then now working uh, still in the function of marketing. And I'm having a really good time. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get into some of the other pieces. But the one story I would say as it relates to mental health and when I realized that I needed it was I had a pretty tragic event that happened in college. And so I'm talking to my parents about it. I get no respite. I'm talking to my college colleagues about it. I get no respite to the point where I'm like, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm ready to exit this place. And I got put on suicide watch, right? Got put on suicide watch. Um, and it was the therapist who saved my life. And so for that, I will forever be a champion of therapy. And I've also now seen that same level of therapy, um, knowledge and expertise save other people that I love. And so this stigma that we have oftentimes with Black people not wanting to get involved with therapy or not thinking that it's for us or that it's a sign of weakness, um, I think it's almost the opposite. I almost think it's a sign of weakness if we don't signal that we need help from people who are experts in this space. So I'm excited about having this conversation today and hopefully can share some things that will help the Secrets family. Yeah, well, thank you guys. So I... I like the rest of the panelists today. Very happy to be here. Thank you. 
So I I grew up in eastern North Carolina, not far from, you know, where Andrew Brown was murdered by the police um, a couple days ago in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. So a small town, Roper, North Carolina, it's about 40 minutes away from Elizabeth City. Um, but, you know, growing up, you know, in the rural south, southeastern North Carolina, um, you know, didn't have a lot of resources, first generation college graduates. I didn't really have any, at least I didn't know at the time, any mental health issues. So I was confident in who I was. Everybody around me was, you know, it was like equal playing field. Most people didn't have college degrees. A lot of people went straight from high school to work. I wanted something different for my life and went to college. And then I didn't realize. And then another thing is, which I'm happy that we're having this conversation today is, when, where I grew up, if you had an issue, you went to your pastor. And it was the expectation that your pastor would have all the answers. And then, and for me, you know, growing up, you know, I, you know, try to make good grades and all that kind of stuff. And I would just go to the altar and I would come up all greasy and all this kind of, you know, some of my issues were not fixed. Right. That I was having, you know, with self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. So my mom, you know, the answer was you need to go talk to a pastor. But that was OK, you know, growing up as a kid. But it wasn't until I got into corporate America and I had an interaction with a uh, black female manager. Actually, it was several managers, but the one that really made me say, OK, I need to go talk to somebody was, you know, when this black uh, female manager mistreated me. And she wanted to be the only one in the organization, like the only leader, if you will. She was the only minority and the rest were white men. And when her leadership said to her, like, hey, we want to invest into her. We like her. And, you know, why don't you coach? Why don't you mentor her? And she flat out told me there could only be one. I mean, you you kind of touched on it. Each of you touched on it a little bit around what made you decide to go get therapy. but. Just just peeling back, kind of talk about maybe what was your decision process, how hard that was for you, what maybe are some of the things that you were taught that may have stopped you from, from leaning in harder at first. So just maybe just talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. I think my hand was sort of forced. You know, like I said, no one in my family had ever spoke about therapy. I had an uncle who took his own life. And I think therapy would have helped him. And so what well, I was backed into it because one, I, I, I was forced like, okay, what, what's my next step going to be around what my next job was going to be. But also I was going through a divorce, you know, and, and the, what, what I found with the first therapist is that she was trying to counsel me out of marriage what I learned was that I needed more therapy on myself. I don't know if that makes sense. A lot of people, I, I know everyone's experience is very different. I wasn't so broken about the marriage. Like, you know, my, my ex-husband husband is still my very good friend. Like we're really good friends. He's always been a very great man. He's a great father to my daughters. It was me that was broken. I had just come out of a, a, you know, a woman telling me that I wasn't good enough because I said bad things about her. And I didn't know, I, I still to this day can't tell you who I am. Like the therapist always asks you like, who are you? Like, you have to be able to tell who you are. And I've still been working through that. 
I wasn't inspired to look for another role. I do a lot of consulting. And so I, I, I feel like a lot of that has to do with the fact that I've had such terrible bosses, very unsupported bosses. They're very intimidated by me. And I've always had to sort of bow down or cower down to them or not be so you know energetic because it might overshadow them. Whatever their insecurities are, what I've learned is it wasn't me. It wasn't my insecurity. It, it's me dealing with their insecurities. And I think that is absolutely valuable. That's something valuable that I learned through therapy. I'm hearing a theme and I'll bring it up, you know, in just a second. I'm hearing a theme in terms of because me having to go through therapy myself, like I, I talk about this in in uh, previous episodes where therapy for me, it saved my life. Like it absolutely saved my life. Like, I mean, I had gone as far as is writing letters, you know, to people you know, trying to explain to them, you know, how I appreciated them. But, I, you know, it was just hard for me to get over some things, putting the weight of the world kind of like on my shoulders and my family saying, you should just get over that. You know, you don't need to talk to nobody. You just need to, you know, and it's like, so you feeling like, you know, I got these on the surface. It's like, oh, you got all these great things going. You're this athlete, you this, you this, that, and the other. It's like, y'all just don't really understand the pressure, you know, like to, to be able to, to perform and then go to work. And act like ain't shit going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know. <laughs> also, I was against against taking medication. Like, I don't want to take medication, right? But what I learned is with the with the my therapist that retired, I was what he found out about me is that I wasn't getting enough sleep. And so I started a sleep regimen and he started me on a pill that actually helped me to fall asleep. And I wasn't feeling as depressed. Like I really came out of it. I really came out of it. I, I literally was not getting enough sleep. And so that's another thing is that you learn that, you know, how important your deep sleep and your rest is as well to your mental health. Yeah. So I'd say it's maybe a couple of things. So one is the recognition that we all call ourselves, you know, humans as mind, body, soul, right? Mind, body, soul. So for the body, we're going to see a physician or a doctor for our annual checkup all the time. For the soul, for people who are, you know, it's faith, maybe they go to their faith and they check in or, you know, even through meditation, whatever the case may be. What was happening for the mind, though, that was the piece that felt like it was ill cared for. And so in the same way that we take care of our, our body and the same way that we take care of our soul, I finally acknowledge that there is something around this mental space that I need care for on an ongoing basis as well. And so what kind of doctor or practitioner is skilled to handle that space? That is where the therapist comes into play. And so for me, it was that acknowledgement of I need an expert in this space in the same way that I need for my other parts of my body. And um, that became important for me. It's just this recognition of you think about the biomarkers that we, some people have who are predisposition, predisposition for cancer or addiction or whatever the case may be. Some of us may be predisposed for call it whatever. Right. And the other piece that I did was honestly an activity where we had to go through family heritage. So I went back as far in the family as I could. And what we did was we asked ourselves questions about each person on that therapy, like what maybe did they struggle with? You know, were they divorced? Were they married? What issues have you noticed, et cetera? 
And what I noticed, honestly, was a pattern of mental illness in addition to some of the other pieces that had gone under acknowledged. Now, it was uncomfortable for the family members to talk about those things when you go and you do the interview. Like, you know, grandma didn't necessarily want to talk about it, but the auntie and the uncle would, right? Then they started to unveil these things. And I also saw what happened in my family when people went undertreated. It wasn't a good thing. It, it just wasn't a good thing. And so my family, I think, has since then collectively taken a response of, you know what, we are going to treat mental health in the same way we do our physical health. And so collectively as a family on both sides, we have started pursuing therapy. We are taking mental breaks. We are checking in with each other. It's now not become taboo within our family because we saw what happened when people went undertreated with that. And so that was that was a big aha, I think, for all of us, especially when you can see it visually, what people have struggled with over time. Yeah, good question. And so when I tried to talk to my mom, of course, she had no frame of reference and really couldn't give me any guidance because no one, to my knowledge, in my family had ever gone to talk to a professional counselor outside, you know, Baptist pastor that um, was in my community. and. We had this saying in our community that they will call people crazy with a C a K. If you were crazy with the C, that means you needed to go to a doctor. If you were crazy with the K, that just means like you're funny and all that stuff. And so, and we would always say that, oh, she crazy with a C or she's crazy with the K and all that kind of stuff. But we would poke fun of it. So what was happening with me was when I was I went to my mother to explain to her that, you know, I wasn't resting well and I was having stress and I was talking to her about my my job. Her recommendation was to go and talk to um, she said, well, if you can't go talk to your supervisor, you need to go file with the EOC. So she's everything except go talk to somebody, because, of course, like I said, my health was being impacted. So she had no like, don't go talk to anybody. And then the other thing, too, was documentation. And I've been like growing up, like, especially when you're in the school system, that you don't want them documenting and putting stuff in your record because that follows you your whole life. And then you get labeled and all this kind of stuff. So it's like you got a crazy with the C, crazy with the K, don't let your medical record. So it's like all these things are coming at me and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, like if I don't go talk to somebody, I re- I literally felt like I was going to have a heart attack because literally stress in my shoulders and my chest. And finally, when I went to that ER doctor because of all the pressure in my chest and he recommended it, at that point, I didn't even tell my mother because out of, I think it was more fear of being labeled that, oh, you're going to sit on somebody's couch? We don't sit on couches. We go sit in the pastor's office. You know, that's what we do. And really going and you know, just being bold because at that point I had no other option. And I was in therapy for about a good six to eight months. Once or every other week, you know, talking with this therapist and just getting all that stuff just out of me, stuff that I didn't even know had impacted me. But it it just took just being courageous and, and really that that fear of having a, a heart attack, which was stress that's really what pushed me over the edge to say, you know what, I, I want to live. I feel like I can be a, a contributing member to society, to my family, to my community. 
And I need to go get this dealt with because what I learned, Ricky and Keith, was that what I was going through could not be medicated. I needed to go talk those things out. And certainly they prescribed some medication to help me rest because I was not resting. So they did put me on an antidepressant for a short amount of time. And and even that was a struggle because, again, I didn't want that to be in my record. But at the same time, I needed it because I was unable to function until after all those months of therapy and just talking out my feelings and emotions and then coming up with some coping mechanisms through my therapist's recommendations that helped me just navigate life. This is where buzzwords, these little cute buzzwords at work, these corporate buzzwords don't work. Do not tell us to come and bring our authentic selves to work if you don't want the authenticity that comes with it. Because my authentic self tells me that I am hurt, that I am pissed, that I am frustrated, that I am overwhelmed. And right. And you want me to concentrate on these sales that's about to come through for the day? And I'm sitting here watching a video of somebody get killed because their knee is on somebody's neck? But 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 Raven, like you kind of you 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 brought up a point because one of the next questions that we were going to try to focus on is actually how have like the past you know or most recent events actually impacted you? And you talked about bringing your authentic self to work, and 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 to some degree, like this stuff ends up being triggers for us, right? Like you've gone through therapy at some point, and you thought you was in an okay place. You know what I'm saying? Like, I done figured out how to come here and deal with these jokers. You know what I'm saying? Like, get my work done. They ask him about what? Them TPS reports saying I don't have enough flair on, you know, all of that type of stuff, right? I figure out how to do it. And then all of a sudden you have a triggering event, you know? So, Raven, how have you been able to kind of, you know, uh, with the recent in, uh, issues that we've seen, you know, whether that be political, whether that be social injustice, like all of those things, police, you know, killings, all of these things. How have you been able to, you know, still be in corporate America? OK. And on one end, on the other hand, try to try to go out there and, and use your voice, you know, to change things. But then, you know, not to fall back into like this place, you know, where you might need, you know, that therapy like you did before. Yeah. So for those who don't know, I'm based in Minneapolis. So this is real time on the ground trauma is what I would say. That's the only word I can use is trauma. So for the first day, right after that video, we had to go back to work. I legit kept putting myself on mute because I could not stop crying. It was my that my soul could not stop hurting. I could not stop seeing or unsee what I had seen on that video. Plus, you know, I live downtown, so you got choppers everywhere. You got protesters out there. I'm out there with the protesters, you know? And so the last thing I want to do is concentrate on work and just taking a temperature of kind of what's going on around the company and around the city and even more broadly And I found out that I was not alone. Again, don't tell us to bring our authentic selves to work. And then we we are expected to show up the same way as everybody else. What we saw is not normal. It's also not new. So let's not sit up here and play these games of, oh, my God, I'm just becoming so woke. Really? You've been asleep this whole time? So for us, it was it was a lot. And so we had to work 
with our, you know, thankfully our management teams to try to find different ways to help people cope in a systemic way because it gave us new language, Rick and, and Keith, to say, you know what? We've had the knee on our neck for a long time too. When we say we can't breathe and you're saying, oh, all you need to do is comply. Oh, you know what? I've checked all these boxes off in corporate America, right? Why are we still not getting the opportunities to advance? I've checked all these boxes off that you've told us to do. Why are we start still not getting X opportunity? And so it's those types of realizations that gave us common language to say, your knee stays on our neck. We can't breathe. How are you, city, government, corporations, et cetera, working with us so that these policies can change so that this incident does not happen again. So, and while the uh, everything was happening in Minneapolis, you know, I was on a Zoom call with uh, Georgetown alum. I'm on on their board, and they're always, you know, talking about how can we, you know, how can we help? How can we contribute? And I had to put myself on mute because they brought up the Asian movement while we're watching the Minneapolis incidents, and the woman says, the Asian says, yeah, and. And I've been so afraid that I put a hoodie on because I don't want anyone to know that I'm Asian. I just have to put myself on mute. We've, our whole entire lives has been fearful. My grandparents, my parents have gone through. I'm, fe- I'm fearful for my children. Our whole entire lives has been fearful. I had to drop my kids off at a BART station where a black girl was killed by our BART police. You know, how much more fearful can you be? So I, I just don't understand. Like, it, this is not new. It's not new. Yeah, because, you know, I was also at work on a call when, because first of all, I didn't expect the bird to come back so quickly. And in fact, everybody on the call was like, oh my gosh, here's the verdict. And my husband was on the front line. So it wasn't just about him. Certainly it was bigger than him. And then I have siblings who are in law enforcement. So I was thinking about them too in major cities in Philadelphia and Columbus, South Carolina, and in, in, um, and in Ohio. And so what was going through my mind was, oh no, here we go again. Because I was not expecting a positive outcome. I was not expecting a guilty verdict just based on history. But for me, it was also having to educate in the moment. I always feel like, why do I have to be the one to tell you what I'm feeling? Why do I have to be the one to mention, hey, we need to pause this meeting because there is something that's happening right now that we just need to pause and just give people a mental health break just so that they can breathe and go sit down and just be aware of what's going on, checking in you know, on their family members and colleagues or what have you, friends. And it's just exhausting. And so, you know, I did reflect back to some of the coping mechanisms that my therapist taught me when I was going through those like high emotional moments and just feeling overwhelmed my chest. I felt that that tension in my chest again. And she taught me some good breathing exercises and just sit down and just get quiet. And I tried to, but my heart was going a thousand miles per minute. So in that moment, it was very stressful. For so many reasons that I like I just mentioned, but just having that burden and having to explain to colleagues that, hey, I can't I, I got to go because I can't focus right now. I just can't. It's like you should have enough wherewithal. So we talk about being woke 
be woke and be aware of what's going on around you. Be aware of what's going on with your minority colleagues. And when things are going on in the Black community, Asian communities, Hispanic communities, be aware, present, and give people space. And don't try to go business as usual. It's business unusual, and we need time. Wow. I mean, listening to Princessa, Raven, and Keisha tell their stories was so powerful. I mean, look, we we have a relationship with these sisters, so it meant something different to us to actually be able to see them be vulnerable yeah. and being able to tell their stories. But just think about the impact of what they were talking about and how one or two of their life experiences may have triggered a mental health challenge that has impacted the rest of their lives. Yeah, it's just ongoing. I mean, a lot of those stories is like stuff happened like early on. Yeah. Right. And it's just stayed with them to this day. Yeah. I mean, I found myself like kind of steeping into some of the things that have, have kind of pushed me or, you know, some of that. Again, we talk about PTSD, some of those things that kind of triggered me. You know, yeah. even listening to their stories. No doubt. And the moral of the story, when I heard all of that, you know, given all of the trauma and stress that black people and, and black women in particular face, you know, it's imperative that we start to pay more attention to our mental health. Look, we're talking about this stuff. We're talking about how it impacts us. We didn't, you know, listen to some of the sisters talk about, you know, some things and how it may have impacted them. But, you know, for folks who think we're just making this shit up, right? Right. Keith, let's just hit him with those receipts. We got man. the receipts today, and these these gonna be heavy. I'm just gonna tell you right off the bat, they're gonna be heavy. But we'll share some receipts on mental health within the black community and how that impacts us, yep. right? And so the first receipt is according to statistics gathered by the mental by Mental Health America, one in five black people live in poverty, right? Mm. And those living in poverty are twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those living two times above the poverty level, right? So, and moreover, black adults are more likely to have feelings of sadness, mm -hmm. hopelessness, and worthlessness than their white counterparts. And finally, while black people are less likely to die by suicide at all ages, Black teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than their white counterparts by 9.8% versus 6% of their white colleagues are attempting suicide. So, look, this is deep. So, we see number two in uh, SAMHSA's 2018 national survey on drug use and health. It reported that 16% of black people, you know, which is roughly 5 million people, mm -hmm. uh, reported having a mental illness and 22.4% of those people reported a serious mental illness in the past year. Mm. Further, bring uh, like uh, binge drinking, smoking cigarettes and marijuana, marijuana, illicit drug use and prescription pain relievers, misuse of those, I should say, were more frequent among black adults with mental illness. Mm -hmm. So again... We're talking about 16% of five or, or 5 million people, roughly there, mm -hmm. experience some of these issues here. That's right. Right? Yes. <laughs> of our people. Yeah. I mean, this this is real. So to, to, to say that uh, this is okay, just, just buck up. You know, just get it together. Right. Like 5 million people. Five million people is, are experiencing is, it. Right. That's right. Right. There's and we didn't there. even put this receipt in, but... That 5 million people, I saw a stat that said almost 60% of us don't go get help. 
We talked about it. We already talked about it. And we right. got the nerve to be ridiculing somebody else right. who's trying to get help, who's admitting that they have an issue. Right. Oh, they weak. Right. Oh, they can't they get it again. Yeah, exactly. All of those things. <laughs> That's right. The statistics show us something different. Something different, totally different. The third receipt is a, a study by Ward, Wilshire, uh, Dietrich, and Brown showed that black people hold beliefs related to negative stigma, uh, psychological openness, and seeking help that impact our coping behaviors, right? Mm. So we're not very open to acknowledging psychological problems and apprehensive about seeking that professional help. And additional research indicates that black people believe that mild depression or anxiety would be considered crazy, as Keisha talked about, crazy, right? Yeah, crazy with a K, crazy with a C, <laughs> right? In their social circles. So just even if you you have just mild symptoms, we start to label you as being crazy. And then discussions about mental illness are considered not appropriate, even among family members. Yeah. <laughs> So receipt number four, you know, treatment and access to health care are also big issues within the black community when it comes to mental health. According to the American Psychological um, Association, only 2% of mental health practitioners are black. Mm. I need to get help and right. I can only find, less than 2% of the people who look like me who can relate to it's my situation, like all of those things, right? Less than 2% of uh, health practitioners are black. So receiving culturally competent care is a, uh, is a major issue. Black people are m more often diagnosed with schizophrenia and less often diagnosed with uh, mood disorders compared to white people with the same symptoms. And we're often, well, well, we're often offered therapy and medication at lower rates than the, the general population. Yeah, so we're not even getting proper care when we get it. And access to health care, just building on that, is another major driver of this whole thing. I mean, we've talked before how, you know, black people, the black employment rate among black people is twice the rate of white people. Mm -hmm. And despite the implementation of Obamacare, the rate of black insured individuals is almost twice that of white people. So even, even just having that access to healthcare and having it paid for to be able to do mental health treatment, it's not there. So with yeah. that being said, yeah. I got I got a question. So you guys, like we're talking about, you know how you always say, ooh, if I would have known, then would I know now? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, but if you're going back into your younger, you know, self princess or Raven and, and Keisha, and you're thinking about like a young female professional who's like kind of new to corporate, uh, to the corporate environment, you know, how would you prepare like for the mental challenges that may arise? How would you, you know, what advice would you give in terms of like building support, like a support network as uh, you progress, like the corporate ladder? Like, what would you, what would you tell young Raven, yo, young militant Raven, right? Young militant <laughs> Keisha, young militant princessa, right? Like, you, you know, like this is, Real talk, because there's someone out there right now who's listening, who's your younger self, you know, right now. And they're kind of learning on the job or learning from their friends or maybe even their pastor, you know, who is not trained, you know, to do this. Because I can tell you, I got some bad advice from some of my friends. I mean, some awful advice, you know, and from some of my family. So what would you all say? We could just go around the, 
the virtual room here. And we can start with you, Keisha. What would you give like your, your, your advice to your younger self? I will tell my younger self that you are not crazy, whether it's C or K, because talk to somebody and it's okay to go sit on somebody's couch. So that's the first thing. And just like we have annual checkups as women, we go and we get annual physicals. We get our car service every 5,000 miles or whatever your manufacturer recommends. Go sit down on a regular basis and talk with someone. It's okay. So that's the first piece of advice. The second thing I would recommend is get a coach, professional people out there that can help you navigate all the booby traps in your career. And it's helpful. It's been helpful in my career to have somebody that not just a professional that I go and talk with once a year to do my mental health checkup, but also a professional coach to help me with the situations that I'm going through at work or challenges, you know, different challenge or project or what have you, get a coach. And then also find that friend at work that you can just, Raven is one of my friends that I reach out and, and talk with at work. Ricky, you know, there's, there's so many people that not so many, but my network is really tight. It's small and tight, but you need to, you need to have a network is the point I'm making here. Don't hold everything in because you're just going to hurt yourself. So, you know, I, I have the benefit of uh, raising three black women. And so this is what I tell them. Start now. You know, we went through a whole list of therapists, finding therapists that they feel comfortable with. And so we are now just going through therapists, trying to place them with the therapist. So I, I would have definitely started therapy a lot sooner. I think that we don't know what we don't know. Like, and I think that I didn't know how hurt I was early in my life, you know? So when you sit down late in life, you start to go back and peel back the onion. Like you guys just said, you realize my hurt has been going on for a long time. And I feel like it, it could have been correctable. Um, and I could have had a more um, fulfilling life internally. And also not, not to copy Keisha, but she's right. It's definitely, definitely need a professional coach. Um, one, you know, to be able to, to, to talk to Keith and Ricky about things that happen in the workplace and to just not know that, to, to be able to bounce things off, like, hey, this is what such and such said to me today. It didn't seem, it didn't seem, it didn't make me feel good. And for, to have that professional feedback versus, you know, a friend that might say, what, you know, something off the wall, uh, to be able to have that professional guidance is extremely important, especially choosing um, your next route, uh, maybe not wasting so much time jumping from boss to boss um, and really knowing, I think the therapy helps you know who you are as a person and to determine where you fit in best uh, in a work environment, like what your work environment might be. So uh, unfortunately, I think what Keisha kind of properly called out is that all skin folk ain't kin folk. So just make sure that as you are vetting and building up your network, that you have folks that are really in, have your, have your back and are, are going to be the, your real champions and advocates. The second thing is, I would say, build up a diverse network. So let me give you an example. So if you think of your network as a tree, if you have your network that you're building and it all gets built out on one branch, if that particular branch gets cut, then your whole network is gone then where else are you going to be? So I had a good friend who um, built her network. She had senior folks, but they were all in the same family. So when that one person got cut and everybody else got cut with them, guess who went out with them a year later? 
that person. So build up your network across multiple branches. And where I started for me was I started with what I call an affinity mentor, which was a black woman who could help me navigate corporate America from a black female experience. And from there, she helped me identify the other types of mentors. I, you know, I can go through that whole framework later, but the other types of mentors. And she coached me on how to shape my conversation with them until I built the relationship and the trust and the credibility with those particular mentors. So I use the affinity mentor to help build up my relationship and my network with my other mentors, which eventually then get you to this last piece, which is sponsorship. And there is a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. That mentorship, that's the one you tell all your dirty, dark secrets to where you messed up, where you feel like you could have done better. Um, And that sponsor is the one who picks you up and puts you in your job, right? We are, as African-Americans in particular, over-mentored, under-sponsored. So make sure that you have a good balance of both. You know, the one thing we didn't talk about, which did hinder me, um, is the cost of therapy, the cost of coaching, the cost of finding a proper mentor that, you know, I know we'd all, we don't all have the resources. What, so what I had to do is find some within my medical network that my insurance would pay for. But um, out, if you don't have medical insurance, like how, you know, how do you get the therapy that, that you need. Yeah, that's a good point, Princessa. And it, at the time when I went to my therapist, it was not covered at 100%. And I, ha- I think I had to pay like 50% out of my pocket. And um, that, was, that was hard because at that time, we had two kids that were in daycare, that were in private schools. Um, I had just been laid off on my job because of the behavior of this manager. So the resources just were not there. And then I remember having this conversation with my husband. He was like, you know, if you can, if we can afford to buy X pair shoes or purse or whatever the situation, whatever I was into at that time, he was like, we can afford to sit down, have you sit down and talk with somebody. And so what I want to say about that is, you know, for those people, if you need help as a people, we are used to figuring it out, like do it for yourself, because if you don't make that investment or figure out how to navigate the resources, be it through your insurance or what have you. I mean, it, I, it was it was it was life or death for me because I literally thought I was going to that to make that decision to say I need to talk to somebody because I cannot stand this tension. And it's a, t- I can't even describe the pain that I was feeling in my chest. Literally, I couldn't, it was painful and it was stress. But that's my advice, you know, just get the, you know, figure out the resources piece, get a grant, do whatever you need to do, but make, sell something, you know, we have something in that closet that we can get rid of go sell something and go sit down on somebody's couch and get the help that you need. Maybe one other piece I would say is from a, from a mental health perspective, um, there's not like this one thing that completely defines mental health, right? Um, there are just like there are different conditions that people treat as a physician. There are different conditions as it relates to mental health. 
So some might be biological in nature, right? I have family members who are schizophrenic and, you know, they have to deal with, um, you know, living with that particular condition and there's medicine that they use and they take to help manage that condition. Medicine is okay, right? I mean, so I also don't want to demonize using medicine to help treat specific conditions. And then some type of mental illness or mental health challenge could come because it's circumstantial. So again, seeing maybe George Floyd get killed may have triggered some folks. And so maybe you don't necessarily struggle with depression all the time, but in that moment, it was the struggle bus for you, right? And so I just want to acknowledge that there is a myriad of conditions as it relates to mental health and that there are therapists, medications, et cetera, that are available to help treat all of those various conditions that we undergo. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that too. And, and Raven, kind of building on the fact that when you're talking about networks and building that strong network, and Keisha, I know you had a boss that did you dirty, <laughs> but <laughs> did you dirty? Did you real dirty? Right. But how, how do you? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But as you think about just uh, helping and supporting other black women uh, when it comes to mental health and, and even with their careers, just talk a little bit about how you how you go about that and, and some of the work that you do in those areas and process of raising three black women. You know, it's like, you know, all these things. <laughs> yes. I also do a lot of uh, mentoring myself. I just I, I bump into black women all the time. And if I get a good buy from them, I offer or they'll ask. I do, you know, I help them with their business proposals. They have presentations they want me to take a look at. It just depends. You know, I really, if it, it could just be a conversation. Um, so I support Black women in any manner that I can, any manner that I can, because it's the only reason I'm alive today is because someone helped me. Um, and so I really do want to give back. And I'm, I'm very specific about helping Black women uh, in particular. Yeah, I would agree. I do the same thing as Princessa. I do give a lot of my time mentoring young women and specifically looking for people who were a lot like myself. So, you know, growing up being first generation, college educated, all that, just going through the motions of trying to figure out how to assimilate that, you know, in a in corporate America where all of my family members were factory workers. So I do reach out a lot at, at work when I see people who look like me. I reach out to them and, and schedule those 20 to 30 minute conversations just to get to know who they are, figure out what projects they're working on. And then I share my, my success. Like, here's what I did. Here's who I connected with. I do resume coaching. So I'm getting coached and the information that I get, I pay it forward. So that one of the um, ways that I help and I give back. And, and I just love, and I quote her all the time, Issa Rae, I'm cheering for everybody black. They get to certain, you know, when they get to work with these big corporations, et cetera, and you see them walk across that hallway or you see them at the water fountain in the cafeteria, what have you, you know, that person really had to go through something to get into that organization. So they weren't just some random person because oftentimes we are overqualified for the roles that we get hired into. I want to know their story. Like they're probably overqualified. They probably don't like their job. They aspire to do something different. So I want to get to know them and figure out how can I help them? How can I pay it forward? 
to help somebody else reach and achieve their goals and dreams. So that's how I help. Yeah, I, I think Malcolm X, God bless his soul, said it best. I mean, he said the most disrespected person in America is the Black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the Black woman. The most neglected person in America is the Black woman. So let's just be clear that I co-sign what this brother is saying, right? Um, And so to that end, I want to make sure that Black women who are trying to navigate this space are super good so that they don't walk into these challenges feeling as if they are the only one. I've sat in rooms where people have called me literally the B word and thought that it was okay. I have been in rooms literally where someone has walked and put their finger in my face and said, shut your mouth. I don't want to hear it. I take this to the management team and they say, well, you know, just kind of shake it off. Right. I mean, so these are this disrespect, this neglect, this unprotection of black women even within corporate spaces, is real. And so when people encounter these things, I don't want them to believe that these things are normal or acceptable, right? So then how do we navigate these things together? And so part of what I believe my calling is, is to tell people the truth, tell people the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So if you looked at my LinkedIn post, I'm very transparent about what people may be experiencing. And I feel called to do that because in some ways it gives people potentially air cover to be able to share what a Black experience could be like in corporate America. And so when you see people share things or co-sign these things and they know their manager is also watching this stuff, ding, ding, ding. Perhaps this applies to your particular structure as well. You know, we see these people with these big titles and we're like, man, their success is so inspiring. Do you know the beat down we had to take to get here? Do you know the beat down people had to take before we got there? Right. And so it's just being honest about what that experience is like so that people don't feel as if they're in this journey by themselves. And the other piece I would say is the Black women tell each other the truth. So every now and then, you know what? All this black girl magic, we still sprinkle it on the wrong stuff every now and then, right? So I remember this one story where I kind of maybe messed up. I can't remember exactly what I did. And my mentor actually called me to her office. And I got to her office. I walked to the door. And I got there. She said, get your ass in here and sit down. Shut that door so I can talk to you, right? And I was like, oh, my gosh, she loves me. She loves me because she's going to tell me the truth. Because guess what? All the white men who were associated with whatever scenario, I don't recall the scenario, but they were also handling it with kid gloves. She was telling me what everybody else in the room was saying because they were too afraid to tell me the truth. And so this is where having the Black women who are in these spaces who can tell you the truth of what's being said in your face and what's being said behind closed doors makes a difference. You know, given that this is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, you know, are there any organizations or resources focused on mental health in the, uh, in in your communities that you would like to highlight, you know, um, right now or organizations or resources that have been helpful for you? I know you said this is what you would do, but uh, is there anything that you would like to highlight, you know, before we close out? 
<laughs> I could say that the uh, the Oakland Meditation Center really saved my life. They have free mindfulness classes mm. and meditation for women, women and men, I believe. And just me going there, being among peers that were also meditating in pain. You can tell that they were in pain and uh, walking out, feeling refreshed and being being open to being able to come back whenever you need it. Uh, that was a great resource for me. Mm-hmm. Great. I appreciate Thanks that. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things maybe for, for me. So one is um, Kovu Health is an LLC where they have a lot of Black female therapists, and I found them to be fantastic. They also offer virtual sessions, so I really appreciate that. For people who are looking to connect spiritually, there's an interfaith group, especially within the Minneapolis area, that's called Kill Our City, especially kind of given some of the the social context and social unrest that we have here in the city. And then it's just something that's free that, you know, every now and then I use. Two things. One is I got a grown folks coloring book and I just <laughs> said to, to just kind of zone out. I mean, it's, it's amazing how the creative mind just kind of takes you there as I use then the other free app, which is called Calm. I, I do use that as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Cool. Those are all great resources. Yep. Yeah, I was going to mention calm because breathing, you know, certainly is one of those things that one of my that my therapist helped me with. And then also whatever city you live in, just check your local listing for uh, mental health professionals in your area. I cannot stress that enough. And what you will find is that, you know, once you tap into your local resources, you are finding there's a lot that's available at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, professional people that can help you. And there, surprisingly, and I live here in Minneapolis as well, there are a lot of Black professionals who are certified therapists. And so I highly recommend to check your local listing and that Calm app is absolutely phenomenal. And certainly prayer, that works too. But of course, we know we need to talk to somebody who can Mm -hmm. talk back, you know, and help us and give us some steps and even a prescription if needed. That was some great advice. We received some of that good advice from our guests today. But Keith, why don't we close out with two secrets of our own? So, like, why don't you just hit them with the first one? Yeah, that's the first secret for me, listening to that conversation and just thinking about all of our conversations, uh, you know, since we've known each other. But when it comes to mental health, it takes a village. Yep. That's the first secret. Right? It takes a village. Managing your mental health takes a community of people around you and resources. So you have to build a support team that includes people like your primary care physician, friends, family, spiritual advisors, other trusted people in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And use that village when you're feeling down, when you're feeling hopeless, or you just need a pick me up. You know, you just had a bad day. It's okay. And you just need somebody to just lift you up, right? Just have that village. Reach out and don't try and muscle through this. Hey, Keith, right? I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, co sign this enough, right? And if there's negative people, you know, like in that circle, bye. <laughs> gotta let them go. You let know, go. gotta let them go. Look, secret number two 
you absolutely have to practice self-care, mm-hmm. right? You have to do it. And you can't keep saying, hey, I'll just get it the next time. Oh, don't worry about me. I'll get it. Because if you don't build it into your DNA, it won't happen. Yeah, that's right. right? That's practice right. self-care. Set boundaries. Yes. Okay? Get your rest. Like, sleep is your friend. Yes, it is. Sleep is your friend, Okay exercise even if it's just walking around the block for yep. a minute or walking Whatever around the house do. meditate just take a moment and just turn everything off and just, just think about it right use that village that keith talked about i mean it's more more than necessary to be able to do that mm. and just put yourself first yeah you know you absolutely have to put yourself first do some things you love take a walk Get those nails did. Get done. Yeah, hang out with your with your girlfriends or your or your partners. You know, read a book, listen to some music. Yeah. You know, get into all of that. Do whatever brings you joy. Yeah, that no is doubt. like it's I can't advice. make that. Yeah, it's I can't make that more simple than that. Bring yes. whatever, do whatever brings you joy. Yes, that is. I mean, it's just fantastic advice. And and Ricky, man, is is. This has just been a powerful episode for me. Mm-hmm. And we really want to thank Princessa Raven and Keisha for being vulnerable about about themselves and sharing their stories and hopefully providing inspiration to all of us um, to take care of our mental health because it's super, super important. And again, uh, you can find more resources on what we talked about today by going to our website secrets.com and look at those show notes in the episode. We put a ton of resources in there for you where you can on mental health um, to help yourself out. And if you find some resources that maybe you use that we didn't mention, Hey, put those on our secrets, uh, uh, family, uh, group, you know, yeah, put those on LinkedIn. Yeah. on LinkedIn, put those on Facebook, whatever it is. We want to get those out to other people to so other we can help. People. We can make a dent in that 5 million yeah. that actually need the we, help. We definitely need, you know, and, and I also say, if you like, you know, what we're giving to you, here's how you can help your brothers out. I know we say it every week, but we're serious, right? And some of you all reach out to us. I can't tell you how many emails we get, how many inquiries we get about, you know, coming to speak at your organizations, but try our coaching services or have us speak or do a workshop at your organization. I mean, you'd be amazed if you ask, you might get it. You know what I'm saying? Follow us on LinkedIn as Keith was just speaking to um, as well. We're always posting interesting articles, blogs, news, spotlighting uh, topics impacting underrepresented employees. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, stock up on that merch. I mean, we have some new, you know, hot designs coming out soon celebrating black heritage and LGBTQ pride. I mean, look, the AKAs are slapping us high fives because we got... Five new people on Patreon this week, and man, it was it was beautiful just seeing people uh, wanting to be a part, you know, of this experience. I mean, we have some behind the scenes, you know, experiences, uh, so you can see how we come up with some of our topics, how we, you know, clown behind the scenes. But we're planning a lot to launch some some additional special features and content, you know, there soon with the full length interviews from some of our previous guests as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Ricky, I have to say that. This 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 episode has definitely door was it was deep yep. and, and, and a lot of a lot of vulnerable vulnerable stories and whatnot. It has lifted my spirits at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I do feel very positive about that. There was hope. There's hope. But it also got me ready to lift a new spirit in this cup. <laughs> what's, what's that spirit Ca- called vodka and cranberry baby <laughs> a lot of kettle and a little crane yeah right right pink light pink light pink mm-hmm. that's right but before we sign off again we want to remind everyone 
Get out there and get vaccinated, people. On, we y'all. need to get out of this pandemic. Absolutely. So get get that shot. Yeah, and and and, and I know how hard it is to convince your family. That's right. You know when they say they doing some they doing some extra research. You know they ain't doing no research. No. You know let's just try to get them vaccinated. That's also. right. Don't listen to all of that. So so thanks thanks again for joining us on Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Later. Take care, everybody. Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Don't forget to tune in next time for more Hot Fire. Until then, cheers! Cheers!